heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Wednesday morning, the 22nd of February. A very good morning to everybody through 4SB Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. Big show for you. Barb Madden will join us, the Australian Lot Feeders Association President. Carl Warren to get in contact with us as well. We'll talk about the market report, but we're also going to catch up with Robbie Catter. So much to get through whether or not it's the three-strike pro- three drug policy or this youth crime bill or the housing crisis, either way, he's got to say. It's Wednesday morning. It's rural Queensland today. A big good morning to everybody. I hope you're well. Let's get into it. Robbie Catter joins us next. Welcome back to rural Queensland today. I started the show yesterday by talking about a very, very difficult situation with this youth crime. And I said that we needed to get Robbie Catter back because obviously he has been a big, big part of banging on about this for years. I mean five years and nothing's been done. Well, it's come to a head now where the Premier is in the headlights. Parliament is sitting this week and yesterday she came out with a two-bit apology and a vow to make change. But whether or not it's just uh, ticking boxes is a whole nother question. Robbie, good morning. Thanks so much for making it some time. It's a busy week, mate. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Yeah, mate, it's a pivotal week in Parliament because um, the burning issue in Queensland at the moment is the youth crime crisis and, and this was the week the Premier sort of said she'd unveil her plans of how we're going to address it, but um, it's all been very underwhelming, Dobbo. So talk to me exactly about what is going on. She, she, it, it has got to a point where it's now a national issue and Queensland is in the spotlight. It's been like this for five years, but she didn't want to know about it. You've been raising yeah. it, and now because it's starting to make the ways. I mean, every single news limited paper yesterday um, is, and then you get this kind of situation. Yeah, well, you know, you're looking for outcomes, and when you're on the, at the coalface, you you're pretty tuned into what's going to make a difference, what isn't, and um, you can you can sniff out if it's a, a political solution and if it's just going to be sort of more of the same. And that's what this seems to me, Dobbo. Um, look, to be fair, I'm still going to cross the detail, but I can't see anything in this that gives us any meaningful change. So, you know, we had um, the Premier waxing lyrical yesterday about how, um, in, in response to our, our question in Parliament about relocation sentencing, why it won't be considered. And the response was that, and they're not just—they're just not going to try it at all. And they say everything has to be evidence-based. Well, there is evidence behind um, concepts of relocation sentencing. But um, but probably the bigger point was that she went on then to say all the successful programs they've got running now. And I think that's a really key point: is that she's still saying um, a lot of the stuff we're doing now is good. Now, if you if you're going to accept that, if she really believes that, then we're in a world of hurt because um, there is whatever's being done at the moment is far from adequate, and um, and I think that really speaks to what the real situation is. Is that you know, she's going to? They're still pretending that they can just do more of the same, uh, tweak it a little bit. Breach of bail has been the only uh, real change that they've made, 
And, mate, that's not the panacea of fixing youth crime. That helps you lock them up a little bit better. But when you've got 95% recidivism in Queen Bay Detention and when you do lock them up, and, um, you know, most of your kids only go away for 6, 12 months, like, that's not really fixing your problem. You need to create that consequence and you need to um, somehow try and rehabilitate those kids better. And the only way to do that, I believe, uh, and that's practical, is relocation centres and somewhere out west. And that was endorsed by Keith Hamburger as ex-Director General of Corrective Services in Queensland, uh, someone that should know this stuff. And um, yeah, then they're going their own way on it, Dobbo, and... Um, uh, we were waiting for the cavalry to arrive, and it certainly hasn't turned up. The Premier's just given us a political sell, I believe, and um, and we've still got a big fight ahead to try and get some real solutions uh, on the ground operating for um, deal with this problem. So what are the solutions, mate? What are the big solutions? Um, well, according to the government, they're just building – they said they're going to build another two detention centres, and um, they said they've, they've called it a different type of detention detention centre but it mate, it'll be more the same um, and uh, and like I said it's 95% recidivism so um, kids that are going in and out of Cleveland Bay at the moment are uh, 95% likely to re-offend within 12 months so that's all a waste of time but we all knew that already I mean yeah. that's feedback I get that um, a lot of kids have, you know treat it like um, you mightn't say a holiday but they, they enjoy it they want to go there um, it's a better it's a better gig for them in Queen Bay Youth Detention Centre than it is at home. So that's not a deterrent, it's the opposite. And um, they've, you know, they said there's some more funding for some programs on the ground, man, so we can give them, you know, intense, um, intense uh, attention with kids and families. But, mate, um, some of these kids are way beyond that at the moment and trying to fix things while they're still in that environment. Like, let's say in Mount Isa, you're trying to, you try and send social workers around a kid that, I mean, hardly ever home, is usually on the streets and is entirely disengaged. Good luck with that. And that's not working at the moment. The only chance you've ever got of re-engaging that sort of kid is getting that remote centre um, in smaller numbers. So don't batch them together like, you know, 150, 200 people at Cleveland Bay. Youth detention centre, if you've got groups of 20 out in a remote centre, um, that's when you can start to maybe deal with some of these kids and get them um, in more productive activities. And um, and there's plenty to do out in remote centres. But um, yeah, they're not looking at that. They're um, they're just saying they've got they're going to send more, you know, put more money in, I guess, to more social workers and programs to try and work with people in the environment that they're in now. And um, that's that's been failing for the last so many years. But um, and it's a classic sort of labour solution, throw more money and resources at the same thing what we're doing. Don't take any risks and, um, you know, try and do a bit of a sell job in the media on it. And I think that's exactly what we've, we're hearing now. Yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody's thinking. And her apology yesterday, it, it, it came on deaf ears. It came on deaf ears. I, I am really concerned about them calling it a youth crime win. The government pledges to share their KPIs. Like, I mean... Come on. Well, mate, let's talk about a KPI. So she was rattling off, Premier was rattling off in um, Parliament yesterday in response. She's saying, well, you don't realise all the good work we're doing. This is in response to the KPI, uh, the KAP challenging them in Parliament. And um, she said, uh, there's one program, I, I can't recall the name of it now, Dolly, but it's when a youth offender, um, say he steals my car, yep. I get the opportunity to talk to him after court and you know tell him how much it's affected me. 
And she said, well, that program's been, you don't realise that it's all the stuff we're doing that's working, that's got 70% success. Well, no one even participates in that man either. So what she hasn't told you is what the sample size was for that 70% because, yep. Yep. you know, it's probably 10 people attended and, and she's saying 77 of them, you know, had a good outcome. Well, who, you know, I've had people swearing at me in Mount Isa who I've suggested attend that because I thought, oh, you know, give it a go. Yeah. Um, so that's the sort of stuff she's peddling around as, and saying it's success and that's the KPIs they're going to be reporting back. So they'll tell you what you want to hear. You've got, you know, a mountain of public servants now that are scared for their jobs that, well, only say what, you know, the government wants to hear. So um, she can live in her echo chamber if, if she wants and good luck trying to sell this back to the public for the next 12 months who are still going to continue to get their cars stolen and their uh, family beaten up in the street um, because they've refused to make any strong stands on this. Robbie Catter is our guest this morning. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. It's Robbie Catter joining us on Wednesday morning, the 22nd of February. It's a real worry. I'll tell you what else I'm worried about, and um, I could talk about that. I'm worried about Jim Chalmers and Anthony Albanese um, trying to get into the retirement savings for a quick hit. Um, there's been talk of death tax for many, many times, but the federal government wanting to hike up taxes on super – to pay for its own budgets, that is quite clear and an absolute joke. Now, they've talked a lot about trying to get a bit of extra money out of out of people when they pass. Uh, it is all heading this way. The, the Labor government made a lot of promises that they won't the old Labor government from a federal perspective, and now we recognise that it's better the devil you know than the one you don't. And the Labor government is doing everything and it's possible and to, to try and trick. I mean, they're very objective is the word to the $3.3 trillion in superannuation. Like, seriously. Well. It's just, it's just a disaster. I think there's some moral questions to be asked there, Dobbo, because, um, you know, since I started working um, as an adult, I've been tipping in super and, I always used to think, crikey, why have I put 9% of this money away? I'd like to spend it now. It's, well, you know, you can avoid a lot of tax, government tax uh, rate if you put it in there, and that's to save for when you're older. So we've made that sacrifice for many years, you and I, <laughs> earning money, and many other Australians worked hard to put that in there because you get a lower tax rate because an incentive was that, you know, government won't touch it so that you uh, you can look after yourself when you're older, and now they're going to start dipping into that. So there's a real moral question because they convinced us to put all that super in by giving us that lower tax rate, and now they want to take it out. So that's highly deceptive, and um, that's a real no-go zone. But, mate, I mean, of course they're going to do that. If you can't build more coal mines, they shut down that coal mine. Other day. If you can't, you're not going to build the, the slice of the, you know, the size of the economic pie. And, um, you know, you don't build an economy by building by the renewable energy um, which is sort of the nonsense that they go on about. Um, and, I, you know, I'm no economist, Dobbo, and nor are they for that matter. Yeah. But you, if you're not going to build a economy, with, um, you know, by building industry and um, and building the size of the pie, then you're going to have to turn inwards and start taxing people to get your money somehow. And that's precisely what they do because, mate, um, we're out in the regions and they're not building anything out there where we generate wealth. And um, it's going the other way. So, um, of course, they're going to have to do this. 
Yeah, it's very, very difficult, isn't it, with what's going on. Um, it, it is a very difficult situation. Um, like, there's no two ways about it. The state the state, and the, the nation is on its knees financially. Are you happy, Rob? I mean, we talk about rural and remote housing. You know, it's a, it's a big issue. They're trying to address a lot of these issues, but rent is just at a, at a tipping point. Your town, like your town is, you know, highly, highly rented out. There's not a lot of people, but they're not building more homes. That's the, yeah. the big thing. Yeah, like, you know, the low housing, um, I mean, const- construction costs have uh, skyrocketed last year, but the driver before that for the last 20 years has been land prices, and a lot of that is um, driven by all the reg- regulatory regime. So, um, you know, like, let's just use, say, Mount Isa as an example, but um, most cities and towns around the place, it's um, you've got trunky infrastructure in place at a big cost, but after that it's just, um, you know, the land's usually pretty low value. Um, if it's grazing land or farmland, um, that's pretty cheap if you break it up into residential land. And um, so... Um, but when you've got all these regulatory instruments in place, so when you try and break up land now, that it costs a hell of a lot of money, and a lot of that you know, can be around native title, um, and you know um, dealing with the planning instruments, which it's all artificial sort of stuff created around that makes land subdivision expensive and um, and cost prohibitive and and just too difficult, and um, that's why you don't have more housing development. And, sure. Um, particularly in the regions, but um, I'm sure it plays a role also around the cities. And, um, and you know, it's a typical thing, you know, government wants their piece of pie early and um, it makes it all difficult, but until you address that, and, you know, that's the sort of things, you know, we're just talking about Albanese and Charms not building industry or the economy. Like, um, you know, they want to talk about things like the Olympic Games and, um, you know, building more stadiums and fun parks and Cross River Rail Tunnel. Well, you know, if you're spending money on that, you're not spending money on on freeing up land around towns and cities, no. and uh, and building sewage works and water, and none of that stuff wins your votes. And um, you know, they don't like cutting ribbons on that sort of stuff, but they do like cutting ribbons on stadiums and announcing Olympic games yeah. cost you twenty billion dollars. So the money's got to come from somewhere, mate. And you're going to have to, it's opportunity cost. You, if you're spending it there, you don't have it to spend somewhere else. So if you're not spending money on new sewage plants and new uh, water supplies and charters towers and all these sort of places that where you can where it makes it cheaper to expand um, your land. Uh, that's um, you know that that's probably the biggest part of the housing problem. So, um, I mean, all, you know, notwithstanding the construction costs now that I don't have good answers on, but um, yeah, but that I know that's a, been a huge barrier for years. I had fifteen years as a property value, so I can speak with some authority on all this, and um, and um, that's not being addressed. And you know, as long as I hear again. As long as I hear about cross river rail tunnels and Olympic games and 20, all the money's going into that, you're not going to be having. There's no money left over to deal with those solutions on, on land supply. So uh, look forward to that problem exacerbating in the future as well. Robbie, just quickly, last thing. Um, yesterday, and it's being reported by James Hall from the Courier Mail that um, a new drug legislation will come into place for those caught carrying um, small quantities of heroin, cocaine, and ice. Yeah. Now, this was introduced into Parliament, and I know a lot of people listening will just shake their head in disbelief, but the Palaszczuk government has introduced to relax the laws for small qualities of drugs. Now, users will be given three chances for carrying a recreational drug before facing criminal charges. Now, this bill has been supported by Police Minister Mark Ryan, 
um, and the legislation now will focus on a health-based response, minor drug offences involving small quantities of any type of dangerous drug. Under the current program, they, you know, this process applies to cannabis, but if passed, will also include ice, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, kenamine and steroids. Now, if you're carrying less than a gram, you'll be given a first chance of being caught with possession. Then you participate in a diversion, a diversionary program and the second and third instance. So it's the fourth time if you get caught with a drug, an illegal drug, you then get charged. It, it, I'm baffled. I understand a lot of people can see the good in this. I can't. I really can't. Actually, well, just coming out yesterday, Dob, I'm, I'm not right across, and you've made it sound a lot worse than I initially thought it was. I thought if you know if you just pulled up once um, and you had some yeah marijuana on you, yeah, yeah, marijuana, um, that, that makes sense. But- I've, I've sort of thought that's okay, but the way you've explained it, then I'm being crikey. But I guess you know, again, um, four times they're not dealing with that. Four they're times. not dealing with any of these issues in the long term, so yeah. they're compounding, and they need. Um, you know, they, they need policies that it sort of uh, put put your finger in the dike policy. So um, yeah. they've got to do that because they're in a difficult position um, and they're not fixing the things the way they should um, with permanent fixes. So, of course, they're going to look at options like this. It's terrible government, but that's what they're doing, mate. So, um, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can see why they're doing it, but it's not right. Robbie, great to chat. We'll catch up again shortly. Thanks, Dubai. Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Barb Madden is the Australian Lot Feeders Association president and the latest National Feedlot Survey results were published yesterday um, by the Australian Lot Feeders Association and MLA and it demonstrates the 20th quarter in a row where cattle on feed have remained above a million million head, setting out to become the new normal in the feedlot industry, which is phenomenal, and the supply chain just keeps on rolling. Barb, good morning, and thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Dobbo. Uh, this is really, really strong results once again. Um, seasonally, it, it was very good when these numbers were obviously taken, which underpins that this industry is alive and well regardless when it used to sort of be a drought mitigation sort of scheme feedlotting many years ago. It is now... 100% the way forward where the majority of our cattle are going forward and coming off grain. That's exactly right. You know, you think back to the 70s, 80s and 90s when uh, lot feeding really began in Australia anyway, uh, and it really was that drought mitigation strategy when, you know, pastures died off, producers needed somewhere to send those cattle, and that's where feedlots kind of um, began. But it's very much uh, a different story now, and with 20 consecutive quarters, so that's over five years now, uh it just shows that feedlots are no longer that one-off um, drought mitigation strategy. They're actually about um, supplying high-quality grain-fed beef to markets around the world and that processors need that consistent supply. And I think that's exactly what feedlots do. We do it every single day, rain, hail or shine. Uh, we turn off product to specification on time uh, that can meet those international demands and domestic demands, obviously. Obviously, there is... A, a lot happening throughout the country, and this is a national survey. Where does Queensland sit? Is it the biggest uh, feeder of cattle in Australia? Is it the leader? 
It is. It is, uh, and it always has been. Those numbers, Queensland is the largest, um, you know, representation of feedlots in in the country. Uh, every state has increased. I think South Australia and Western Australia, uh, those numbers weren't as high, but that's just a seasonal, um, you know, issue that 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 quarter was dealing with. So, every state has increased slightly over, um, you know, in this December quarter. Bob, the, the biggest challenge of the feedlot industry, I mean, it, it is a wonderful industry. I was lucky to be a part of um, your conference last year and it, it is a wonderful industry full of amazing people and they are all, and I mean this, they're environmentalists, they're, you know, they're custodians of the land and they love the industry. But the outside noise always comes. It doesn't matter whether or not we like it or not. Um, there's a far left and there's a minority that, that sings from the rooftops about all these industries and about agriculture in general. I, is that the biggest threat to what we know? Look, I think that's always been there, Dobbo. And I, I was only just chatting last night to a, a colleague in the industry and I thought, you know, every single day I wake up knowing that we are producing first-class protein to feed families around the world and I just think that is just such a noble profession. And of course, we're going to have people saying, you're doing this wrong or you're doing that wrong. But as an industry, we need to be showcasing that we're underpinned by uh, an amazing compliance structure. So every uh, feedlot in Australia is, if they want to supply grain-fed beef, they've got to be NFAS accredited. So there's a whole list of stringent compliance issues that feedlots have to meet. That That's focused around environmental, animal welfare, people, you know, it's so I think we can quite easily be distracted by the noise of of the naysayers and the haters, but we've just got to rock up to work every single day, believe in what we do, care for our cattle, land and communities, and if we can go home at the end of the day knowing that that's actually what I've done today, then I'm okay with that. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Um, th- th- there's a lot of upside um, to what we do and it it is about trying in a lot of ways to make sure that you know we can sell it do we not sell the story and i mean we've got the best product there is so many wonderful things happening in this industry do we not sell it enough or do you think that there is a shift and people are starting to get gather an understanding of it well i'd like to think there is i'd like to think you know everyone wants to know where their food comes from they want to get their phone and scan something that tells them a story about their food but I still think there is a disconnect between actually buying the food, consuming the food and actually fully understanding all of the influences that and, and the effort that it takes to actually produce that food. Um, but look, again, I just think it comes back to industry. We've got to be transparent in our production systems. We've got to be able to share our stories, not hide away from the issues as they arise. And just fundamentally go about doing what we do every single day and producing this nutrient dense food. Like so it's and this is where I think the big story is. It's about it's one ingredient, it's beef. And it's nutrient dense and we've got a global population of, you know, iron deficiency, nutrient deficiencies. I think that's our our story. Yes, we've got great animal welfare outcomes. We do we look after our land, but actually this beef product is so good for you. And it's one of the superfoods. So let's, you know, let's sell that story, I think, a bit better. Yeah, you're dead right. Market projections, I know you don't like crystal balling, but what are you hearing? I mean, it, this certainly has been a, you know, 20 30% drop this year. I think it's not sustainable. I think there's a shortage worldwide. Are you guys concerned at all? 
Oh, look, you know, we always take a five-year projection. So, and look, look at the last five years. My goodness, you know, in 2018, 19, we never thought it would rain again. And then obviously, you know, we've all seen what's happened in the last five years. We've had wars, we've had COVID, we've had a whole host of things thrown at us. So for me, it's not just looking at at the immediate six months, 12 months. I think you've got to take that longer term view. But what these numbers, back to the feedlot survey numbers, is saying over the last five years, 20 consecutive quarters, feedlot occupancy has remained above a million heads. So it just goes back to prove that feedlots are an integral part of the beef supply chain. We're here to stay and this is, you know, supplying first-class protein to families around the world. Yeah, it makes so much sense. It really does. Uh, Really appreciate your time this morning, Barb, as usual. Um, Great that we're seeing these kind of numbers and the consistency coming through. Uh, It is a phenomenal industry and it provides a real backbone to the agricultural industry. And from an employment perspective, uh, it, it, it just affects so many people from fuel to machinery to grain growers to cattle breeders. To, to people wanting to horse, people who breed horses, you, you know, you've got accountants. It is a complete sector that obviously provides so much um, employment across Australia and such a diverse industry. We really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for having us, Dobbo. I really appreciate it. Good on you, Barb Madden, Australian Lot Feeders Association President. We're going to take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Let's get a snapshot from Roma. Carl Warren from Topex in Roma joins us this morning. Rabbi, good morning, mate. Um, a little over 6,000 head there yesterday and the Roma sale rolls on. Yeah, good day, Dobbo. Yeah, it sure did. We saw a, uh, a good lineup of cattle, a bit different to the previous week. However, yeah, it was uh, pretty firm across the board. All right, let's start with it, mate. Um, obviously, Big yardings. Let's start with the steer portion from feeders all the way to, 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 to weaners. How was that job? Yeah, Ben, on the heavy end, probably we saw feeder steers make just under $4. You know, they made the high 390s. There wasn't a lot there on offer compared to the previous weeks. Bullock job, maybe softer. Bullock's $3.30 and 40s. We really didn't see that 60 we saw the previous week. In the little steers, steers with a bit of frame and not a lot of weight, which is different to previous weeks. We haven't been seeing those cattle with that bit of compensatory gain. So that was a good offering there from the West, and they were stronger. We saw the little light end of them. We're talking 200 kilos, making into the $6, $6.30. You know, we haven't seen that for a few weeks. And, you know, those steers, 260 to 300 well, they got out to five dollars twenty, but probably averaged in their high four dollars eighties, eighty five. What was the feel about that that, that steer job there? Um, was was there concern? Look on the heavy end, it has it, it's probably steadied, and it's it's holding on that feeder job. Obviously, the bullocks were a bit of a a bit of an anomaly, but you know we've had a few dry weeks. There's another. There's another big roll-up in Dolby today of over 5,000. So there's probably a few numbers just starting to move here, Ben, um, on that heavy end. But, you know, the light end, we saw competition come in from the central and and from the west and Blackall, Longreach, you know. and Those guys have got a good season there now and they're starting to buy a few of these little cattle. Yeah, unbelievable. Hey, mate, listen, talk to me about the heifer job. It was very, very strong. Yeah, the heifer job, look, Ben, not much change there on previous week. Uh, we still saw four dollars on those lighter end of those heifers, and a kill heifer. You're still talking that three dollars thirty to three dollars sixty, um, varying from a vela heifer right through to an export heifer 
in that bracket. There's not a lot of change in that heifer market. The only thing we don't want to see is uh, too much Brahmin content. They're still cut, touching a flogging and, you know, $3, $3.30 for a Brahmin heifer. And likewise in the steers. The steers are $3 to $3.40 on the steers. And, and if they're a light steer in a Brahmin content, they're sort of $3.80. So they're the ones still feeling the pinch at the moment. Yeah, very, very strong, isn't it, how it's, um, it, it, it's gone down that road. Like, and obviously the, the, the gap between the heifers at the moment and the steers is is quite different. It, it, it has been some concern. Are, are the opportunists back in the market? Yeah, I think that's what we saw yesterday, Ben. I think that's why the steer market rallied in the light end. And, you know, the heifers are starting to hang around for them and, and they're starting to see a bit of value there. If you can buy a flatback heifer for $3.60 to $4, like there's got to be opportunities because we're sort of seeing that across the board. You'll see that from mid-200 kilos right through to or 500 kilos, so you're basically buying them for the same rate and just putting weight on. So, yeah, we are. Those guys with grass, we are seeing them starting to venture this way and buy those cattle. Yeah, and that's the that's the big thing, isn't it? Um, th- there's a lot going on there. Now, mate, talk to me about this, um, the, the prime cow job. How did that How did that handle it? Was There was a lot of cows there last week. What was it like this week? Yeah, and another big run of cows again this week too, Ben, 1,200. Um, it, it probably softened slightly. We still saw the good, big, heavy travel cows with plenty of plenty of um, dead weights there at, at two dollars ninety five yep. and two dollars ninety six, and then there was a big run of cows there at two dollars eighty to two dollars ninety. So, and yep. they were good cows. They were good, big, heavy cows in excess of six hundred kilos with plenty of travel under them. So, you know, the market's still pretty firm, and everyone was operating there yesterday. There wasn't one out of the loop, they were all in there and all trying to buy a few and source a few. So that's positive, yeah. uh, but just slightly softer. Yeah, you're dead right. Um, that's the that's the big thing. There's a lot of positives to come out of this uh, job. Bull market, how was it? Yeah, not a lot of change on it. Uh, still seeing good heavy bulls making $2.80 and um, those lighter bulls $2.50 to $2.65. Mate, the property market has been strong in a lot of areas uh, and much coming on at the moment. Yeah, Ben, I think uh, we're just starting to see a few a few hit the market and obviously with these interest rates and everything, we haven't seen any sales yet. So I think there's going to be a test in the coming months just to see where that job's at. Obviously, there's a couple of good places hitting the market and they're really going to show us where this depth is in this buyer Cool. Um, interesting times ahead, obviously, mate. And this season's pretty good in the West. And if we can get a bit of rain around Roma, that'd be lovely just for a bit of presentation. But yeah, yeah, I think um, as everything, we're going to sit and watch and see. And, and for this cattle market sort of firms and holds where it's at, well, that'll give everyone a bit of confidence and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, you're dead right. I'm um, looking forward to catching up with you again. Thank you so much. Big yarding. And, and as you said, a huge yarding today in Dolby. Almost uh, in excess over 5,000 head again. So that'll stretch the seams in two days uh, throughout this market. And we'll catch up with the other markets throughout the back end of the week. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for being with us. No worries, Dolo. Anytime. Well, that's it from us here this morning on this Wednesday morning, the 22nd of February. Gee whiz, February getting away already on us as well. Have a great day. Ray Hadley to join you next. And from all the team here at Rural Queensland today, stay safe on the roads. Till next time, it's bye for now.